Good afternoon and welcome to On the Arts, KLW's weekly radio magazine of the performing arts. I'm your host, David Latulipe. Today I'll be talking with Bill English from the San Francisco Playhouse. He's directing their production of Guys and Dolls. Tenor superstar Penny Pate talks about his scene-stealing role as Nemorino in the current SF opera production of Donizetti's Elixir of Love. Philippa Kelly talks with Liam Vincent, director and actress Renee Lubin from the Panto production of Sleeping Beauty in the Presidio. Plus, Holiday Roulette, a mezzo mashup at Cole Mansion. I'll talk with one of the mezzos involved, Nicola Prince, joined by Patricia Christoph Moy, executive director of Music at Cole. All coming up after this update from the BBC. Hello, I'm Moira Alderson with the BBC News. More than a dozen hostages held by Hamas in the Gaza Strip have arrived in Israel after being handed over to the Red Cross. Their release was delayed by what Hamas called logistical issues. Two Russian-Israeli women were freed earlier. This is the sixth group to be released in as many days of a temporary truce. Paul Adams reports. Tonight, 16 more hostages were handed over to the Red Cross, 12 Israelis and four Thais. This is the sixth night in a row when the deal has been upheld by both sides. But whether it continues beyond tonight is still not clear. In recent days, both sides have indicated a willingness to keep it going, but nothing has been confirmed, and Israeli officials say preparations are being made for a return to military action. The US Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, has arrived in Tel Aviv to discuss extending the temporary truce and increasing humanitarian aid into the Gaza Strip. The US authorities have charged an Indian man with conspiring to assassinate an American citizen who advocated for an independent Sikh nation. Prosecutors in New York State accused Nikhil Gupta of trying to hire a hitman to murder the intended victim who has not been named. They say that Mr Gupta was recruited to organise the attempted killing by an Indian government employee. The Biden administration said it has issued a warning to Delhi over concerns that the Indian government was involved. Delhi has announced a high-level investigation to examine the allegations. In Serbia, anti-corruption campaigners are calling for prosecutors to investigate allegations of vote buying ahead of next month's elections. It follows a report claiming that cash is on offer in return for proof that ballots have been cast for the governing Progressive Party. Our Balkans correspondent is Kaidaloni. A reporter for Serbia's Centre for Investigative Journalism said she'd been offered cash for her vote while she was working undercover. The reporter alleged that workers would receive the election day bonus if they showed they'd voted for the progressives. The call centre isn't run by the party, but the anti-corruption organisation Transparency Serbia is calling for prosecutors to investigate. The Belgrade Prosecutor's Office says it's waiting for the national and local election commissions to respond. German police have arrested two boys aged 15 and 16 who they accuse of plotting a jihadist attack on a Christmas market and a synagogue in Cologne. The police say the teenagers, a German Afghan and a Russian citizen, used the Telegram messaging app to make their plans. Herbert Royal is the state interior minister for North Rhine-Westphalia. There were many plans for attacks and thoughts about where and when something could be done. There was also talk of different places. But in the end, and that's when it became concrete in these chats, they agreed on a concrete plan to attack a Christmas market. I can't say more than that. World news from the BBC. Bolivian police have handed over to Brazil a man identified as a senior figure in one of South America's most powerful cartels, the First Capital Command, or PCC. Igor Oliveira is believed to lead the PCC in the Brazilian border state of Mato Grosso. He was transferred to the Brazilian border authorities under heavy security. Oliveira was arrested on Tuesday after being caught using a false identity. Peru's constitutional court has restored the controversial pardon given to the former president, Alberto Fujimori, and said he must be released. The 85-year-old is serving a prison sentence for corruption and human rights abuses. Warren Bull reports. Alberto Fujimori came to power in Peru in 1990 at a time of economic instability and a Maoist insurgency. Two years later, he carried out what's known as a self-coup, where he enhanced his powers by dissolving Congress and the judiciary. During his presidency, 
a right-wing group carried out murders and kidnappings as part of a stated aim of maintaining order. And for his involvement, Mr Fujimori was sentenced to 25 years for human rights abuses. Supporters say his actions as president saved Peru from chaos and have long called for his convictions to be quashed. This is the second time a pardon for Mr Fujimori has been restored. Astronomers have marvelled at the discovery of a closely packed group of six planets that have unerringly stabled orbits since their formation around a star four billion years ago. Writing in Nature, they say this indicates that the planets never experience major impacts or the close passage of another star to disrupt their orbital rhythms. The Canadian government's reached a deal with Google that will see it pay news outlets more than 73 million US dollars to host their content. The tech giant had been threatening to remove news stories from search results in protest at a government bill mandating payment. That's the latest world news from the BBC. This is Sunni Khalid, news editor here at KALW. In case you missed it, the A's may be leaving Oakland, but a local group has organized to keep professional baseball in town. And the state has given San Francisco a one-month ultimatum to get its housing policy in order or suffer the consequences. You can hear these stories, as well as others, from our partners at NPR by logging onto our website at KALW.org. Meanwhile, keep your dial set on 91.7 or KALW. Welcome to On the Arts. I'm your host, David Latulib. This Sunday evening, Music at Cole Mansion will celebrate the holidays with a fun twist, Holiday Roulette, a mezzo mashup featuring the luminary talents of San Francisco opera mezzo-sopranos Nicola Prince and Gabrielle Bitag, with pianist Ronnie Michael Greenberg. The musical program will be a delightful fusion of traditional seasonal holiday tunes, opera classics, and popular songs from Broadway, cabaret, jazz, and more. Sure to bring a smile as well. Here to tell us more is one of those performing artists, Nicola Prince, along with Patricia Christoph Moy, the executive and artistic director of music at Cole Mansion since 2005. And she's held prior management positions at the San Francisco Opera, Stern Grove Festival, San Francisco Contemporary Music Players, the French American International School, and the San Francisco Boys Chorus. Patricia maintains a parallel career as a language coach for singers and is the French language and diction coach of the San Francisco Opera and Santa Fe Opera. She's also coached productions at the Met, Lyric Opera of Chicago, Houston Grand Opera, and a number of other companies throughout the United States. She also serves on the Marella Opera Program faculty and teaches privately here in the Bay Area. Welcome to you, Patricia. Thank you. It's great to be with you. I believe it's a welcome back, too. We've talked on on an occasion or two before. Indeed. Well, following three pandemic-era summers as a participant in the Marilla Opera Program, Nicola Prince, who uses the pronouns they and them, began their tenure as an Adler Fellow with San Francisco Opera this past summer, where, among other roles, they sang Musetta in La Boheme. Nicola is currently in rehearsal for Opera San Jose's production of Rossini's Barber of Seville as Rosina, and recent performance highlights include the title roles in Carmen by Bizet and Dido and Dido and Aeneas with Opera San Jose, as well as roles with Opera Memphis, Pocket Opera, Ars Minerva, West Edge Opera, and the Green Mountain Opera Festival. Nicola also covered the role of Laureen Jobs in this fall's production of Mason Bates' The Revolution of Steve Jobs. Prince is well-versed in crossover styles of singing as well, in addition to engagements at Yoshi's and Club 1923. Nicola also created the role of Velma Louise Cole in Boxcar Theater's immersive Speakeasy SF, a great production and a fun immersive experience indeed, and once again joined San Francisco Symphony for their annual queer variety show, uh, Holiday Gaiety with Edwin Outwater and Peaches Christ as co-hosts with various other surprises, including Sister Roma and the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus. Nicola will exercise their additional skills as an aerialist for that show in Davies on Friday the 15th, which we'll also talk about as well. Nicola, welcome to On the Arts. Hi there. Well, uh, Patricia, nice connection to the Adler program on this one, which sounds like 50 Shades of Fun. Indeed. Indeed, it's a connection to the Adler program and the Maryland program, and of course our artists, uh, both uh, Nicola and Gabby, have been have been through that program. So we go way back, and we've worked together. So this was a natural. Indeed. Um, so how did the the concept of uh, a different take on a holiday show first come into uh, come to fruition? 
Well, we wanted to give our community something really fun and special uh, for the holidays. Our series, as you know, David, is a chamber music series, and this is our 41st year of that series. Um, for the holidays, we thought about something vocal, something delightful, something that the audience could participate in. So I called Ronnie Michael Greenberg, an incredible producer, pianist, performer at the San Francisco Opera as well, former Adler Fellow. And um, together we came up, but I really have to give uh, Ronnie the credit for this wonderful holiday roulette idea. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about what that roulette is. It's an actual roulette wheel that's going to be It's involved. an actual <laughs> roulette wheel. It's a very big roulette wheel that gets spun on stage. And uh, members of the audience will um, have a chance at coming up and spinning the roulette wheel. Uh, the first half of the program is all planned and it's all announced actually, and it will be um, a variety of uh, arias and duets and uh, pianistic pieces. And in the second half of the program, the roulette wheel comes out and um, lucky members of the audience who get to spin the wheel will get to select from quite a large variety of uh, potential uh, pieces of music that our singers will sing and that Ronnie will play. So, Nicola, did you help in the selection of some of those special songs? Yeah, I, I have to give Ronnie, again, most of the credit for coming, like, shooting the suggestions. He's always full of really amazing ideas. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's there's some special ones that I input, like, you know, some not often heard Christmas songs, like A Little Hard Candy Christmas, if you like some Dolly Parton. It's one of my favorite Christmas songs. Um but yeah, there's there's a really fun selection in the holiday roulette. I also think there's a very very fun selection in the planned uh, the first half. Um, uh, the last part of it is going to be this big tribute to Maria Callas, um, who is one of my is my favorite singer of all time. Her birthday is uh, this Saturday, the second. She's a Sagittarius, of course, um, and so we're doing a bunch of pieces kind of that highlight parts of her career so like La Paloma which um her her teacher used, uh taught her as one of the first songs she learned how to sing we have some some selections from Norma which is very fun because this is a mezzo extravaganza but um you have Gabby singing Adalgisa the mezzo role and then you'll have me singing Norma the soprano role um so that will be very fun and you got a, a witch's ride from Hansel and Gretel of Humperdinck as well oh yeah <laughs> And uh, mm-hmm. I also yeah, noticed, we will be singing that one. I also noticed um, uh, the uh, Rossini cat duet. <laughs> yes, the Rossini cat duet, <laughs> a classic. That's great. So um, we're going to touch on this with uh, with Penne as well. But a graduate of the Adler program that must have given you a, a, a immersive experience during your time with them. Yeah, I'm actually still a first year in the Adler program. Um, Gabby will be graduating um, this year. Uh, This Saturday is actually our big Adler gala concert, um, which is, I guess, our graduation ceremony from the program. Right. Um, But yeah, even just being here one year has been wild how many things I've done in a year um, in the opera, outside of the opera. Um, Like you said, I I just, um, we actually just closed Barber of Seville with Opera San Jose. Um, and at the same time, doing that while preparing for this concert, you know, going from one show to the next, it's it's really exciting to be a part of, like, this behemoth of an opera company. And what will you be singing Saturday? Saturday, um, I will be singing an aria from Prisoner of the State, which is an opera by David Lang that was premiered in 2019. It's uh, basically a modern telling of Fidelio. Um, it's a really cool piece. Uh, I'll also be singing um, a selection from Vanessa. I'll be singing Erica in that, which is kind of fun because my first big gig break uh, after I graduated from the conservatory was singing Vanessa, Erica and Vanessa with West Edge Opera in 2013. Fantastic. Ten years ago. <laughs> wow. Oh, nice, nice. There's always a, uh, I believe there's always a group finale, a chorus of some type. What, is, what are they yeah. doing this year? We are doing Rondine, the um, the Bevualto Fresco Sorriso. It's beautiful and schmaltzy and lovely. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, I touched on the Holiday Gaiety programming program coming up on the fifteenth. Tell us a little bit more about that and 
the preparation? Um, that's funny. I just actually came from the circus center right before this call. Um, yeah, so I'll be doing another trapeze act. Uh, I'll be doing um, the Habanera from Carmen, which will be very fun. It's it's an act I've done before, but I decided to kind of revive it and zhuzh it up a bit. Um, uh, it'll be partly, I mean, it'll be Habanera, but it'll be mostly like an homage, a tribute to like Grace Jones, like leather latex kind of dominatrix. It'll be very fun. Okay. Well, we'll look forward to that as well. Part of the San Francisco Symphony's many holiday offerings, sfsymphony.com for more information. Music at org for more info on this Sunday evening's program. Patricia, um, a little bit more about what people will be, will be seeing and experiencing as part of this uh, mezzo mashup. I understand the mansion will be decked out, of course. It will be decked out to the hilt, and it is gorgeous. I don't know if people uh, know that the mansion is in Burlingame, just south of San, of San Francisco Airport, very easy to get to. The mansion is a beautiful hall that was built for music, so of course it's perfect for us to have voices in it because the original inhabitant of the Cole Mansion, Mrs. Cole, was a, was a contralto, and she built the hall in order to give concerts herself. Um, you will not be seeing Nicola Prince on a trapeze. (laughs) However, don't give um, her any ideas. (laughs) She she just might show up with something. I know she just might, (laughs) Uh, but you will be seeing, you will be seeing uh, the the mansion all beautifully decorated after the concert. Of course, the whole audience is invited for dessert and champagne and to celebrate with the musicians and celebrate with each other. It's really a community uh, event. And we're very excited to have, um, people from uh, our friends from the San Francisco Opera, as well as uh, our wonderful chamber music uh, friends and audience uh, join us. Um, we wanted the whole family to come, so the tickets are uh, not only reasonably priced, but they are free for uh, people under 18, 18 and under. So the family can bring the kids. So I can make it too. That's great. Great. I can put, put on my Absolutely. my little boy suit on. <laughs> music at Cole Mansion, <laughs> Holiday Roulette, a mezzo matchup talking with Patricia Kristoff uh, Moy about that. She's the executive director. Lots more to come at the Cole Mansion. Music at Cole.org. And once again, Gabrielle Gabby B-Tag will be appearing along with uh, a fellow uh, Merrill, current Merrill Opera program fellow, or no, Adler fellow now with the uh, San Francisco Opera, Nicola Prince, who is also my guest. Nicola, we're going to go out with you singing um, the Habanera from your production with the Opera Modesto. Thanks so much, both of you, for taking some time today. Old. Thank you, Dave. Old old performance, but a goodie. Oldie, but a goodie. (laughs) Still to come, you'll hear about the Guys and Dolls production at SF Playhouse and tenor Penny Patti will be my guest to talk about the elixir of love. More opera ahead. in that Carmen classic music of Bizet. Chances are you might hear that this Sunday, I'm just saying. But you will hear it on the 15th as part of Holiday Gaiety with Edwin Outwater, Peaches Christ, and a cast of characters for as part of San Francisco Symphony's holiday offerings. Well, 
Coming up next, another holiday tradition of Panto and the Presidio returns to the Presidio Theater with the remounting of Sleeping Beauty full of magic, humor, dance, music, of course, and a message of hope for all ages. 28 performances through December 30th. Uh, a popular hit when it premiered back in 2022. The over-the-top musical reimagining of the classic fairy tale is set in the magical kingdom of Pantoland. And here to ta- tell us more are two of the creatives involved, director Liam Vincent and actress Renee Lubins, in conversation with Philippa Kelly. Welcome. Thank you, David. And welcome to Liam and to Renee. It's lovely to have you here. And and I believe you've slipped out from rehearsal to do this interview. So thank you for, for making the time. Well, first of all, um, people often hear the word pantomime, but where does it come from? And could you tell us a little bit about the origins of panto as a form? Well, uh, Panto is a, it's a British, it's a very, very British art form. Uh, Panto is short from pantomime, as you pointed out. It's a holiday tradition in England that's been going on for a hundred years. And the Presidio Theatre, where the Sleeping Beauty is taking place, uh, the executive producer, Peggy Haas, her mission has really been to bring a British-style panto to the U.S., So that is what we did last year with Sleeping Beauty. And it was such a success that we are remounting it this year. Um, And as you said, it's a real mashup of acting and music and song, and it's interactive. So we like to kind of describe it as Beach Blanket Babylon meets Rocky Horror Picture Show meets a family holiday show. Um, but it's not a kid show. It's a family show. And I think the difference is you can bring the whole family and uh, it's fun for everybody. It It is, I think the kids kind of rise up to the adult humor. The adults get to be really silly because there's a lot of call and response stuff. So it's, but this is a very American panto because a, a British person seeing a holiday panto would know all of the rules um, we've chosen a couple of the British elements that we like, and we've been able to kind of take that as a jumping off point and really make it our own and be able to incorporate the songs that we like. And, and um, I'll let, I feel like Renee actually knows a lot more about Panto than I do, having been in Beach Blanket Babylon and having been in the very first Panto that they did at the Presidio, The Magic Lamp. So... Um, and I also wanted to point out, Renee, are, you're also part of the symphony uh, gig on the 15th, I believe. I, I am. I'm actually reprising a song that I sang with the Gay Men's Chorus um, years ago when we did a, a concert, Snow White and Her Merry Men. Um, it's been about 15 years, and I will be singing... Uh, uh, that song with the gay men's chorus, as well as closing on the 15th. And speaking of that, Renee, um, I believe that you should be entered in the Guinness Book of Records. I'm going to enter you myself for being the longest running performer in a musical review in the world. Do I have that right before I call the Guinness Book? That is correct. Um, Beach Blanket, actually, and it's it's all about the wording when you're talking about the Guinness Book of Records, because although Beach Blanket Babylon is the longest running musical review in the world, it is not the longest running Broadway show. So, um, yeah, and I'm one of the longest running performers in a musical review. Well, it, that's good. That's good enough. <laughs> me, Renee. Um, While I've got you uh, with us, um, can you tell us a little bit, I mean, most people know the story of Sleeping Beauty, but for those who don't, could you tell us a little bit about about the story and about um, how this panto, um, you know, presents it? Okay. Uh, I have to, and I have to tell you that it's loosely based on the original Sleeping Beauty, because something about Panto is that uh, Panto 
usually allows you to see, witness the triumph of the underdog. So um, this Sleeping Beauty definitely has a huge nemesis on stage. And we all get to witness the downfall of this. uh, I don't want to give it away too much, this particular Mm -hmm. character, because although uh, in Sleeping Beauty, there is a witch, this witch is probably to me, maybe a little darker than the Sleeping Beauty. So what's great about it is that the audience gets an opportunity to interact with uh, the cast and um, those characters, which make it really exciting. It's it's very exciting to hear kids get involved, especially when they're really when they're really connected to the characters that are in the show. So it we do have us. We definitely it definitely is about Sleeping Beauty, but it's not going to be the fairy tale that you probably imagined as a child. I'm excited to see it. And everyone should know also that um, the time for this this show, it, it runs till the end of December, 30th of December, um, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, 6 p.m. Um, it runs for about 110 minutes, including intermission. And then Saturday and Sunday, there's also a 1 p.m. show. So really perfect in these pre-Christmas days to take the family. Um, Renee, Talking about families, can I ask, do you think anyone is too young for this panto? Absolutely not. I think um, I think everybody will have something there, even the youngest. I mean, can I tell you a little story about when I was in Beach Blanket many, many years ago? Uh, my my cousin wanted to bring her daughter, who I thought we thought was maybe too young to see the show. Um, during that time. I was wearing a costume. Kids recognize costumes. She was only two. And I was wearing a costume as Glinda. And later that week, she showed me, we showed her a book that was had the ABCs and she saw the cue for Queen. And the moment she saw it, she said, her nickname for me was Nene. She said, Nene. So I think that the same thing applies to um, Sleeping Beauty, the panto, the costumes are magnificent and they are magical. So I think just for that, we are a visual, magical wonder to look at. It's a it's a cast of 21 people. Um, it's uh, the Presidio Theater. Many people have yet had a chance to go and visit it. It's a beautifully restored 600-seat theater in San Francisco's Presidio. It had been the movie theater for the Army base, and then it was restored in 2019, which was bad luck for the theater. Um, It's an acoustically, it's one of the most beautiful theaters that I've ever had a chance to work in. And I think, just to circle back on the Sleeping Beauty thing, when we were trying to choose a show, I love magic and spells. And this, this show has a witch. The show has magical fairies. The show has a queen played by Renee who may or may not have some magical powers. I'm not going to give that away, but the way that kids love Harry Potter, we thought what's going to be something that will be fun for adults to work on. There are no kids in this show. This is an an adult cast of a lot of uh, Bay area theater veterans like Renee and Kurt, Kurt Branham, who was in beach Blanket Babylon and Stacey Ross and, um, many, many Rotimi, many people that that are um, bring their amazing talents to the show. And the really fun thing about Panto is we get to take songs that we love, like "Luck Be a Lady" from Guys and Dolls. I'm helping tie in a theme to the whole show, and we get to do our own version, uh, which is called "Let's Bless This Baby." So in Sleeping Beauty, when the baby is blessed. The fairies sing, let's bless this baby. Or the witch comes in and sings Doja Cat's Boss Witch. I don't think I can say the actual word of the of the original song. But the really fun thing about Panto is if you see a Panto, you get to hear contemporary hits. And then you can choose any song that you love or connect with. Renee sings Mariah Carey's Hero um, at one point. 
it's just really fun for everybody. That that's the thing about a panto is you get to kind of cheat it and bend it to um, make it as enjoyable for the audience as possible. It's really a great time, and there's food too. I know that that is a not usually something that you come on a show and talk about, but the theater has sandwiches that you can buy. I mean, just to point that out, the Presidio is is not close to that many restaurants, but it's a great family show for people to kind of come and have this great experience. And from the minute that you walk in the door, uh, they've designed it so that it's just a, a, a magical afternoon or evening for the entire family. To reiterate. Sorry, Renee, go, go for it. Sorry. To reiterate, the, the theater itself is glorious. It's glorious. I haven't worked in a theater that's quite this lovely. Yeah, I agree. Um, my husband, Paul Drescher, um, performs there from time to time, and we love that theatre. And I was going to say, too, it's so beautiful as you come up to Christmas, thinking of the magic. And, you know, one thing I often think is that um, magic, it, certainly we can portray it as coming from above and all of that and the magic, that the miracles, and yet around Christmas, I can't help thinking that some of the miracles and the magic are the emotions that come from ourselves as we approach the holidays and perhaps um, forgive people we thought we'd have a lifelong grudge against and um, see the downfall as in the pantomime of people we've long known should should be um, having that downfall. So how fantastic to see this played out in a panto at the Presidio and everybody again, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 6 p.m., Saturday, Sunday, 1 p.m., the Presidio. For tickets, go to Presidio Theatre, S-T-H-E-A-T-R-E, R-E dot org. And the tickets um, started about $20 and go up to 100 Thank you so much, Liam and Renee. And to have a soloist with the symphony singing on that stage, that is just a priceless gift in and of itself. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And thank you, Philippa Kelly, PresidioTheatre.org, for more information on uh, Panto production of Sleeping Beauty. And again, Renee Lubin-Holmes will be performing on the 15th of December as well with the San Francisco Symphony for Holiday Gaiety. Well, uh, well, that's some uh, rather loud opera. Let's hear this. This is the prelude to Donizetti's Elixir of Love, the final production of San Francisco Opera's 2023 fall season, marking the return of this opera, 1838 masterpiece at the War Memorial Opera House for just three more performances through the 9th of December. Conceived by director Daniel Slater with associate director and choreographer Tim Clayton, the updated setting for this delightful and heartwarming romance with a libretto by Felice Romani takes place on the Italian Riviera during the 1950s, a la Fellini's La Dolce Vida. Samoan New Zealander tenor Penny Pate, whose fast-rising international career began at San Francisco Opera, notably as the Duke of Mantua in Verdi's Rigoletto for the 2017 production. Also a former Merolini and Adler Fellow, or would that be Merolino? I'm not sure. I'll have to check in with him on that. Uh, he takes on the role of Nemorino, a role he debuted at the Paris Opera in 2021. Patti's return to San Francisco follows his unforgettable centennial season opening night concert appearance last year and his last-minute role debut in 2019 as Romeo in Who Knows Romeo and Juliet. About the latter performance, San Francisco Chronicle described him as possessing, quote, that magical, indescribable charisma that radiates beyond the footlights and compels you to pay attention to everything he does. I'm so pleased to welcome him to On the Arts. Hi, Patti. Hi, thank you for having me. Penny, yeah, indeed. Uh, let me turn down the opera for a moment here. And <laughs> Such a pleasure witnessing your portrayal of the lead and scene-stealing Nemorino in this opera. It's, it's a fantastic opera, and the reason why I like it so much is because I resonate so well with the, with the character, and I feel like I don't need to try to act like him. I feel like I am <laughs> So instead of trying to personify or instead of trying to be Nemorino on stage, it comes quite naturally for me to, 
just go out there and be myself. Well, you've said you that you relate to Nemorino. Tell me, tell me more about the character and, and your somewhat parallel personalities. Then, so Nemorino, it's a funny, it's a it's an opera about a, a let's say the village nobody who falls in love with the village somebody, and he hears her talking about um, Tristan and his old and about a potion that she discovered, and so he goes out and looking for this potion. So really, it's about this guy who thinks, oh, you know, I can never, I'm not up to her standard, and I don't think she'll ever look my way. But I'm sure if I get this potion of sorts, it might increase my chances. And so I feel like I connect because I, I have been this kind of shy kid growing up, and I've always looked to, you maybe I've seen some prospects along the way and think, oh, I don't really stand a chance against them. And I've always wondered <laughs> if there was a potion, I probably would have done the exact same thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, this opera has had it, had its first San Francisco opera performances back in 1929 with Tito Shippa as Nemorino. Other wow. memorable portrayals throughout the years by the likes of Pavarotti, Domingo, Jose Carreras, Jerry Hadley, and Ramon Vargas all on that stage. Do you have a favorite Nemorino portrayer? Uh, it's, it's really funny. I, Pavarotti is quite iconic in this. And in fact, he said it was one of his most, if not the most favorite role of his, because you can really be yourself. And it's it's so lighthearted. Everyone falls in love with you because you're just so, you're not, you're so bumbly on stage. You're just trying to be loved. You're trying so hard to be loved. <laughs> um, so I, I would say Pavarotti was definitely iconic. I, I think someone like Rolando Villazon was was very iconic because he was he was he was very funny with his facial spe- uh, expressions. Uh, so yeah, those two I think were uh, quite iconic in, the, in that sense. This opera is such a delight. It's so such a pleasure to, to discover it myself at the ripe old age of sixty. Now, is this Daniel Slater directed production particularly more comic than others? Was your twenty twenty one production with Paris Opera as ebullient, say? Everyone has their own taste at, at comedy gold. And I think Daniel puts it in a really good way that it still feels natural. Whereas I, I did a the production that I did in Paris. He's very famous. Uh, Laurent Pelly is very famous for doing, for staging comedies. And it's so hard in a way that because if you get it wrong, it's very staged comedy. Whereas this one by Daniel is almost natural that the comedy just speaks itself because it's, you making natural mistakes rather than, oh, see that banana? Slip on the banana. (laughs) It's kind of, no, you're climbing the staircase and you miss a step. And it's something that someone would naturally do by not trying to catch a laugh, but someone would unfortunately slip on the staircase as they're trying to reach their girl, (laughs) the girl of their dreams. And that's so hard to 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 project uh, naturally, not not have it look staged. So, so oh sweet. my god, comedy is one of the most difficult things to to stage. Now, I mean, if they tell you to cry because your lover died on stage, then it, you know sadness is always a little bit easier to portray. But comedy, trying to get the timing right and trying to make it look like it was something natural is one of the most difficult things, for sure. And that's like the operatic villains are always more fun to play, too. Anyway, <laughs> but, but some, <laughs> some of that comic energy comes, of course, from the score of Donizetti. Let's hear an example. Tell us about the scene two aria, or duet, really, Obligato A, which we'll hear here from this production, you singing with Renato Girolami. In, in this duet, it's really, fun, it's really funny because the whole village has left, and I find him alone and I say, doctor, look, he's, a, he's obviously a charlatan. He's a, he's a fake doctor. <laughs> and I say, hey, I heard you're giving out all these potions. Do you happen to have this one from his old? And he said, he obviously thinks I'm crazy and says, yes, in fact, sarcastically, he goes, I do have it. And so the whole duet, I'm actually shaking his hand saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm saying thank you, and he's trying to get on out of there. Well, <laughs> he's like, uh, if you stay long enough, you'll find out it's not an elixir. And it doesn't help grow hair or eliminate toe fungus. Here's, <laughs> here's a brief excerpt, then more with Benny Patti. Benedetto, 
to brief excerpt of and a taste of the elixir of love Donizetti's opera Renato Girolami as Dulcamara and my guest tenor Penny Pati as Nemorino in Donizetti's elixir of love currently at San Francisco Opera well uh, Penny big surprise that Donizetti and Rossini were close to exact contemporaries Donizetti 1797 to 1848 Rossini, 1792 to 1868. Uh, you hear just that, that kind of Rossini-esque build and, and patter that is just so much fun to listen to and see on stage. Oh, definitely. And you can hear, you're, you're absolutely right. You can hear it translate in both of their musics. And I could, you know, they knew something. <laughs> they knew what was in the source when it comes to comedic <laughs> writing. When it comes to buffo writing, they had it right on the money. <laughs> well, um... One of the of the remaining performances this Friday's is being billed as the Elixir of Love Encounter. Um, it's built on the recent Traviata encounter they had in 2002. And this encounter will whisk guests away to that glamorous 1950s seaside hotel Adina to experience that sexy world of the elixir of love. The encounter will begin with one act of the opera, and then the night continues in the lobby areas of the opera with custom cocktails, marvelous mischief, Instagram-worthy photo ops, I'm told, inspired by the balmy Mediterranean setting of the opera, just for one night on Friday for tickets, sfopera.com. Will you be participating in any, any of those after-opera activities in the lobby? Absolutely. And and (laughs) Encounter is all about those who have never been to the opera and they think, okay, let me just give it, have a little taste. Well, you get to watch one act of the opera and then the entire opera house is transformed to the set that's on on the opera house. And I get to go mingle around. People want to see, they want to ask what is it like to sing on stage? Or they just want a photo of Nemorino. <laughs> maybe my maybe the elixir I take on stage will continue to work its magic throughout the <laughs> throughout the lobby. My wife won't be happy, but look, the elixir is working. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> but it's it's a great experience. It's a great date night. It's a great way to just figure out. Give it. It's a great way to give it a go. And look, if you really enjoyed it, you can come back and watch the second half. <laughs> right, right. Or second act, so to speak. You, you could yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> sneak in to see, see the second act on one of the remaining performances. I'm not. I'm not condoning that behavior, by the way. But sfopera.com for the remaining performances. You mentioned your your dear wife. Welcome uh, to our, News Hour from the BBC uh, Amina, World oops. Service. Um, um, something's going on there. I don't know why that came up. Uh, you mentioned your wife, uh, uh, the wonderful singer Amina Edris, who you get to yes. share the stage on occasion, most recently in Toronto and La Boheme. Anything coming up together? Yes, and in fact, it's, uh, we're, we're, this year we were so lucky to be in, in three operas back-to-back with each other. It really happens, and nor do we even go out there to try to put ourselves in the same opera um, and, but coming up in the future productions, we do have a few. We have uh, one in Paris. We're doing Fast Together in Paris. And we've got a few more coming up that we cannot mention just yet. <laughs> okay, well, well, we'll have to uh, give give the goose away, so to speak, uh, when we get closer to those events. And, of course, we'll look forward to you talking with us again when you grace our stages here. Uh, each of the remaining operas, uh, performances of Elixir Love will have a 20-minute overview, 55 minutes prior to each performance. Educator Marsha Green will handle those. Again, for more information, sfopera.com. I mentioned the ebullience that pervades this opera, and then not until we hit Act 2 are we gobsmacked with the famous aria Una Fortiva Lagrima. Tell us about that aria. It's, it's one of the, it's the sin, most sincere moment of the opera. The entire opera, he is trying to track her down. He's trying to get this potion. There's an ulterior motive uh, for it all. I feel like the, the potion is more of a metaphor for him that he just wants to be someone he's not. I don't think, this is personally how I see it, I don't think he's truly trying to chase Adina more than he's trying to become somebody he's not, you know? And, and then finally, in the second act, when he finally is surrounded by all these women and he thinks that the elixir is taking place, he's content. And he only realizes at the end when she turns up, he goes, oh, oh I forgot about you. Because <laughs> this potion taking was for you. And then he sees her shed a tear 
because she's concerned about him. And it's that tear that goes into this most sincere moment. It is mo- it is memorable because this aria is suddenly in the minor key, yet it's about it's about love. Where the traditionally, of course, when it's minor, it, it denotes something very sad, something serious. Well, in this case, yes, it's very serious, but it's minor key, and he's actually singing about his love for Adina. So mm. the whole mood suddenly changes because nothing sounds like it the entire opera, and then suddenly this aria pops out of nowhere, and people mm. feel mellow. They feel they're drawn in by this melody, and they're drawn in by the emotional change of of Nemorino. Mm. Well, unbeknownst to the SF Opera publicity folks, I'm not going to play the excerpt they offered, but rather the aria as you recorded it with Emmanuel Viome and the Orchestre National Bordeaux Aquitain, your big smiling face dominating the cover. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for taking the time to talk today. Uh, enjoy the rest of your stay here in your home turf or your your home stage of SF Thank Opera. You, and toy, toy, toy for all of your upcoming endeavors. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. A furtive tear, una furtiva lagrima and tenor penipati. in the amazing aria Una Fortiva Lagrima. Donizetti's Elixir of Love at SF Opera for a few more performances. SFopera.com for more information. Well, for from the world of opera and the swinging set in the 1950s Italy, we traveled to stateside and New York in the 1930s and the street hustlers of Guys and Dolls. Some of them have a different views on which horse to bet on. The horse right here, the name is Paul Revere And here's the guy that says if the weather's clear Can do, can do This guy says the horse can do If he says the horse can do Can do, can do I'm making valentine, cause on the morning line The guy has got him figured at five to nine But look at Epic's hat, he waited by a half According to this here is a telegraph For Paul Revere I'll fight, I hear his foot's all right Of course it all depends, it didn't rain last night I know it's valentine, the morning works look fine Besides the jockey's brother's a friend of mine And just a minute, boys, I got the Felix noise It's like his great-grandfather likes tangled points I tell you, Paul Fear. Now this is no bum's fear It's from a handicap But that's real sincere I go for Valentine Cause on the morning line The guy has got him Figured at five to nine So make it up and tap You ain't by a half A point to this Here is the telegraph Epitaph Valentine I got the horse 
from the new Broadway cast recording of Guys and Dolls, Fugue for Tin Horns, often regarded as the perfect musical comedy and filled with beloved Broadway standards, including Luck Be a Lady, Sit Down, You're Rockin' the Boat, If You Don't Know the Story. Based on a couple of Damon Runyon works, Guys and Dolls spotlights gamblers, stinking thrills and wishing to win it big, but finding salvation along the way. Big-time gambler Sky Masterson finds an unlikely love in straight-laced missionary Sarah Brown, betting he can woo her, but instead falling in love himself and finding a new calling. By the end of the musical, tough guy Nathan Detroit puts his long-running craps game to bed. He makes an honest woman of his burlesque dancer fiancé, Adelaide. Here to tell us more is the director of the show at SF Playhouse, who also happens to be the co-founder and co-artistic director of the Playhouse and frequent flyer here at On the Arts, Bill English. Over the last 20 years, Bill has served as award-winning actor, director, scenic designer, and sound designer for this space, which he calls an empathy gym. He's also an accomplished musician and builder. Welcome back, Bill. Yeah, hey. Great to be on the air with you, David. Hey, what a fun evening. I caught the show last night and was just bowled over over, by everything associated with the show. You've assembled such a strong cast and some familiar to uh, San Francisco Playhouse audiences. When you thought of casting originally, did specific actors come to mind for the lead roles? Well, um, I knew that I, uh, I, I knew immediately that I wanted to cast uh, Kay Lauren as Nicely Nicely Johnson and uh, offered the part to them about, oh, almost a year ago, mm-hmm. <laughs> nine months ago. Nice. And um, also, I had been working with uh, Abigail Campbell on As You Like It. She played the sort of the sidekick to Rosalind. She played um, uh, the second lead of that show. And she didn't really have a, a lot of singing to do, but I, I had my ear cocked and I noticed this kind of remarkable soprano voice that I cutting through everything. Oh my gosh, she was just beautiful as Sarah Brown. So I also offered offered to those two. And then it was kind of just, you know, holding auditions and meeting with people. Um, you know, and just, just I'm working on a cast. I, Casting process, uh, sure. I felt very... Yeah, I felt very strongly that I wanted to have a very, very diverse, and not just diverse culturally, but wanted to really uh, make sure every single person in it was very unique individual. Well, it's a unique and enthusiastic cast, and decidedly non-binary. Women in traditional men's roles, it's a very body-positive casting approach as well. Yeah, yeah, we really wanted to shake it up a little bit, get away from sort of the, you know, the stereotypes of casting, you know, the Guys of Dolls has often been done as a kind of a a Broadway bunch of guys in pink and yellow checkered suits that talk out of the side of their mouth, and, (laughs) you know, there's there's a long tradition of playing into that kind of Oh, we talking like this out this out of your mouth kind of thing, and although we did have a dialect coach, and we did work on, you know, New York, Bronx, Brooklyn, uptown, downtown accents, we tried to keep them very real. Mm-hmm. We tried to make all the characters as truthful and real as possible, kind of drawing more on the inspiration from the Damon Runyon stories in a way. Yeah, but tell, talk to us a little bit about that hard scrabble world of Damon Runyon of 1920s New York and later prolific Hollywood screenwriter. I imagine the raw edges have been smoothed out during its transition to the Guys and Dolls book by Joe Swirling and uh, Abe Burroughs. Yeah, well, you know, the Runyon stories were all set in the, in the depths of the Depression, most of them, the ones we drew on. And so we actually took that as an opportunity to move the time frame back in time and set our guys and dolls sort of in the in the rougher kind of horror, more desperate time uh, in the 30s. And that was one of the inspirations. 
yeah, the hard scrabble world of David Runyon, nuts and bolts, kind of tough guy, you know, gamblers, drinkers. When I when I first announced that the uh, when I announced the show at our season announcement party last year, I always put the big card up on Easel's three show with a little black piece of silk over the over the title, and then I. I sort of describe the show a little bit before I, before I go da da and pull the uh, <laughs> nice black thing. And so I, I describe Guys and Dolls as a, a story set in the depths of the New York Depression about uh, sex workers, gambling addicts, and right wing religious extremists. <laughs> and then you just show what the show was, yeah. I... And, and and nobody had any idea what I was talking about until I. Until I <laughs> But that is, in fact, you know, we have a story about strippers and and people that are deeply addicted to this particular floating crap game as sort of their only hope. And, of course, the wonderful music of Frank Lesser collaborating with Abe Burroughs yeah. on things like uh, not only Guys and Dolls, but How to Succeed in Business for, Without Really Trying, for which they won the Pulitzer. Um, kudos right. kudos for this production, once again, to Nicole for her choreography. Now, Nicole Helfer, is there anything implied for movement from the original, or is it all up to whoever wears the hat of current choreographer? Well, you know, unlike a chorus line, which is such a, you know, it's a tribute to Michael Bennett, and we, we did give Mr. Bennett some credit for the choreography. I think Nicole and, and I particularly, we wanted, to, we wanted to bring a little bit of that roughness to the choreography. So when you see these gamblers, they're a little bit more like, uh, like boy, boy, cool boy. You know, it had a, mm. a lot of the dances, uh, a lot of the choreography is feels like it's coming from a little rougher neighbor. Nice. Um, that was, and I think, Nicole's kind of unique, unique contribution. And, and great set construction, use of your revolving stage. The costumes, of course, are amazing. And we're going to have to leave it there because I want our audience to hear a little bit more of the soundtrack. I'm going to go out with I, If I Were a Bell. Um, B- Bill, thanks for taking this, this brief time. Congratulations on this wonderful production running through January 13th, sfplayhouse.org yes. for more information. Here's Great If I Were a Bell from Guys and Dolls. Thanks, Bill. Am I all right? Ask me how do I feel. Ask me now that we're cozy and clinging. Well, sir, all I can say is if I were a bell, I'd be ringing from the moment we kissed. Tonight, that's the way I've just got to behave. Boy, if I were a lamp, I'd light. And if I were a banner, I'd wave. Ask me, how do I feel? Little me with my quiet upbringing. Well, sir, all I can say is if I were a gate, I'd be so. I'd start popping my spring Or if I were a bell I'd go ding dong ding dong ding Ask me how do I feel From this chemistry lesson I'm learning uh, Chemistry Well sir all I can say Amazing music of Frank Lesser from Guys and Dolls, currently at SF Playhouse. It's pretty amazing music and a wonderful production. sfplayhouse.org for more information. As always, much too much going on this time of year to get everything in, but do think about a trip to San Francisco uh, Symphony tomorrow. The great Audrey McDonald is guest. And then on Friday and Saturday, they're, uh, or Thursday and Friday, they're doing The Nightmare Before Christmas. Tim Burton's film with the uh, amazing music uh, performed live by the symphony. Smew and Contemporary Ballet gets underway, is already underway in various spots, but it comes to San Francisco on the 14th at the Blue Shield Theater at uh, 
YBCA. This is 91.7 KALW San Francisco. You've been listening to On the Arts, a reminder that our shows are archived at KALW.org. My thanks to Janice Lee for producing the show and to my guests who take the time to zoom in and tell us about their special things. Um, more information, of course, about everything you've been hearing, David at KALW.org if you'd like to send me a message. And again, our shows are archived at KALW.org. Thanks so much for listening.